Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Matt Payne, a landscape photographer, mountain climber, and podcast host based in Colorado. In addition to making stunning photos in incredibly remote mountain areas, Matt has one of the most extensive guest lists ever on his podcast, F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. We talked about his current book project, our thoughts on the differences and similarities between those who spend time outdoors for recreation and landscape photographers. We also spent quite a bit of time digging in on the ecological impact of NFTs and how that affects our decision-making as people who love nature. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to connect up with me and, and talk. Since I first started recording these about a year ago, I think I've had like six or seven people say, hey, you really should get Matt Payne on here. Um, <laughs> uh, those, those, uh, those poor, poor, poor fools. <laughs> well, you've developed quite the, uh, the reputation, but I th- and I think it's a positive one. Um, well, we could talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you implying that it was in spite of yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I find myself to be kind of a lightning rod just because I'm very opinionated and I don't typically hold back what my opinion is. And some people generally like that and some people don't like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously it's probably based on if they like agree with my opinion or not. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could see that. Um, I, so you and I... Um, kind of what instigated this is obviously uh you had me on your podcast a while back which was cool um that was awesome yeah we it was a lot of fun we talked about a bunch of stuff that was kind of random and really different from what you normally talk about but we have been you know just talking on social media and um a lot over the last few years one of the things that kind of instigated this was that you and i were having a dm conversation on twitter about something that was kind of heated. It's it's kind of a current topic that a lot of people get fired up about. And I, I, I think you said something of, you know, hey, you don't need to worry about me taking, you know, getting too hurt about something you write in text because I'm not like that. <laughs> something to that effect. Yeah, it's true. Which I thought was cool because I'm like that too. I'm maybe pragmatic to a fault. Same. That's, yeah. that's me to a T. <laughs> yeah. So it drives people crazy. Yeah. Like you're able to, uh, be the devil's advocate and have those conversations without being offended all the time. Yeah. And you know, people are like, just pick a side, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, um, so that was kind of what got us talking. I was like, Hey, we should have this conversation. Let's just get on the phone. And of course you are stupid busy with recording podcasts. So as much as I was like, well, yeah, well, I'm free tomorrow. You're like, um, I have a day and I have an evening in two weeks. <laughs> you <know>? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool. But that uh, your, um, your catalog is a direct result of that, I think. Which yeah, cool. it's, um, it's been a busy couple of months. I can imagine. You know? I mean, I'm in the process of writing a book. Uh, my competition that I co-founded with Tim Parkin and Alex Nail and Rajesh Joe the Soren closes tomorrow 
Yeah, like today is the last day to enter, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know. I still um, have four slots left in mine, so. Been busy. <laughs> <laughs> I kept getting the emails like, you need to upload your stuff. You're like, you paid for this, upload your photos, so. Yeah, we weren't sure how those would, uh, how those would come across, but. Yeah, well, I still have four slots left, and I haven't decided whether I'm going to fill them or not. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that was an interesting, um, not to change topics or whatever, but that was actually an interesting thing that we did because um fortunately we have rajesh on our staff and he's entered a lot of competitions and he kind of could tell us like here's what i like about this one here's what i don't like about that one Mm -hmm. and we decided to make it to where you could change your entries up until the last minute which a lot of people were like really confused by like how do i know when you've gotten my images and but then a lot of people like oh my god this is so cool because i can change my, my mind time and I <laughs> right. can, you know so it's it's been a really fun process to be involved in yeah well I, I love it I love the idea that it's it's just kind of sitting there waiting for me to upload things and you know I and so there's no reason to wait you know you might as well go well I'll get the ones done that are done um yeah I mean there you, is a I mean you you have until tomorrow Dan <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Yeah, for sure. No, well, that's that's cool. So you've been doing that. You've been writing this book, and um, you mind telling me a little bit about that that book? Yeah, of course. So, um, as people who have maybe listened to my podcast are probably aware, I'm a big mountain junkie here in Colorado. Um, I climbed all of the fourteen thousand foot mountains back in, or finished climbing them in 2012 finished climbing the highest hundred mountains in 2018 and in 2015 I moved to Durango Colorado which is like in the heart of the San Juans um anyway so back in 1986 uh this guy from New Mexico named uh Bob Rosebro uh wrote a book a mountain guide um on all the San Juan mountains in Colorado which was somewhat incomplete um you know, it didn't have, it had like a bunch of old black and white photos in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really cool because it had a lot of historical information. It was really well-researched. And he's climbed literally all the really, really, really hard mountains that no one climbs. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, I have climbed a ton of the easier mountains that no one climbs. And <laughs> I've climbed the highest hundred mountains of which some of, some of which he's climbed. So basically, and I have like, thousands of photographs from the mountains. So he reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to contribute photographs to it. Um, or alternatively, if I wanted to become a co-author on the revision and use my photos and have me write, you know, rap descriptions and things like that. So I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So it's, that was about a year and a half ago. He reached out to me and it's been a really fun process. You know, it's cool already having a publisher and everything. So, um, you get to bypass all of the uh, part that's normally a pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, we we meet with the publisher regularly, and we have an editor. And as we're writing, they're editing. So it's it's been really it's been really neat. And it's the manuscript is fully due in a month. So I'm wow. I'm not panicked or anything, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you was because you've been working on it for a while? Did you only go back through your back catalog of images, or are there any of you gone out and specifically made? Oh for man! This? Uh, so it's been really cool because a lot of the stuff that was missing from the book that um, Bob didn't climb yet, and a lot of stuff that I hadn't climbed yet, 
also. So I was like, we kind of divided and conquered. So he, he went out and climbed a bunch of stuff over by Telluride that neither of us had done. And I went up and I've been doing a ton of stuff up near Silverton and north north of here in Durango. So like this past weekend, I did a overnight, well, two-night backpack trip and climbed five mountains in one day. Wow. And then, so basically this whole summer, I've just been going out, climbing mountains, getting photos for the book and and writing route descriptions that's for cool. those routes. Oh, that's great. Well, that's, that was the thing as soon as you mentioned that he, he found you and was like, Hey, this is, this is great. Would you want to be part of this? And then it's cool because it gives you an excuse to go climb some more mountains and take yeah, some and pictures. Yeah. And I can, I, I, I don't, my wife can't say no. Cause I'm like, well, I have to do it for the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess she could say no, but. That's yeah. the that's the best kind when you can go like, hey, there's a book involved, and I'm you know I'm I'm assuming you're getting paid for it. Yeah, well, you know it's um it's all royalties. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully it sells. I like I like royalties. <laughs> uh, um, I I still received the tiniest amount of royalties from my music career 20 years ago. There so you go. It's like a check for 12 dollars once a year from uh, iTunes. Oh, that's impressive. Well, yeah. <laughs> what's cool about this publisher? So it's um. It's I'm sure it's Cop- not as impressive as what you're doing. <laughs> well, it, this, so the publisher is called uh, Colorado Mountain Club Press. So they, they re- that's all they do is release these types of books yeah. for all over the state of Colorado. And what's great is that they already have a huge network of bookstores and stuff in the state that they, you know, reach out to and do events with. And so unlike like a photography book that would just be mine where I would have to do all of the marketing they pretty much you don't really have to do any of it it. yeah (laughs) Yeah. exactly so so that's gonna be good now one thing that i thought was interesting you brought up this book on facebook and you have it's kind of interesting well you have a a big because of the podcast and your photography you have this very broad um group of people who are photographers that follow you yeah what i think the photographers were a little bit weirded out by is that there's a whole bunch of climbers who follow you too. True. And so there, the debate was not as straightforward as just photographers giving their opinions. There were a whole bunch of other people that jumped in. And I thought that was fascinating because you're part of this other community. Yeah. And very different, um, shall we say, viewpoints. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm curious about that. Um, I have found... So we've talked a little bit, so you know a little bit of my background, but I, you know, grew up in Oregon, um, grew up hunting, fishing, yeah. uh, backpacking, camping, that kind of thing. And so it's been interesting for me to be somebody who is, did all that before I really became a photographer. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been a photographer of some sorts most of my life, but right. I didn't get serious about it till well after I had spent, you know, many, you know, many, many weeks and evenings and nights and, you know, days and all that stuff out backpacking and camping. Yeah. So it's, I know that it's a different community mm-hmm. and what I, I'm kind of curious about is how do those two intersect for you? Because that, like when you said that, that it's a different viewpoint, how does that intersect? Because you are, you've talked about this enough on your podcast that you were a climber first. For that sure. That, that was your thing. Yeah, I mean, well, hey, look, listen, you know, most landscape photographers, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty safe activity, um, you know, taking photographs. 
especially if you're if you're focused on you know the icons and things that are accessible from a parking lot. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Just getting that out of the way. But you know that's um, you know it's a pretty low risk activity for the most part. Right. Uh, whereas um, mountain climbing and um, getting really deep into the wilderness and doing some of the stuff that I've done, you know, the information that people seek is for personal safety. Right. Um, and also for, you know, trying to minimize the amount of time they have to spend in terms of um, fumbling around in the dark, trying to find the route up a specific mountain or, and, and, and the ethos of, of our guidebook, you know, we're not, we don't give people like, okay, take seven steps to the left and then, you know, right. 17 meters later go, you know, it's not that detailed, save for a couple of really, really dangerous mountains where it's don't walk off the edge in this spot because you can't see it. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly, it's like, okay, go to this trailhead, you know, hike this way, you know, yeah, and then watch out for this particular aspect of the route. Cause it presents this challenge or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, people who are doing this activity are risking their life to get to the tops of these mountains in a lot of cases. And so the whole argument about, well, okay, let's, let's be real for a minute. Um, the whole reason that whole debate came up to the, to begin with is because of my involvement in form forming nature first. Right. And the third principle of nature first, which is, you know, use discretion of sharing locations. Right. And uh, one particular photographer basically came after me and said, how is this any different than that? Right. And so then I had to articulate to him on Facebook why that was important. I'm glad you brought that up because that that's exactly what I was getting at. Is it, You're like, wait a second here. This isn't the same thing. And I know it can sound like it can sound hypocritical if you don't have context. Sure. Well, and... I'm pretty sure that was the only reason he made the comment was to try to make me look hypocritical. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair to say. And I, that all came out in the comment section too. <laughs> that it did. And then like, it got you deleted said it. conveniently. Wasn't yeah. that fun? Yeah. Well, and so here's, this is interesting because um, I have been, so I missed you coming out to Oregon this summer, which, yeah, totally, that was a blast. which totally pisses me off because <laughs> I kind of knew you were coming and Bruce didn't tell me that he had a bunch of people meeting up with you. And Bruce is a friend of mine. And I just was like, damn it. I would have probably tried to make that work if I knew anybody else was coming out there too. Just, just because it would have made it easy to go, Oh, this is the trip. Um, cause, and cause I went out there two say, weeks later. <laughs> can we just say Bruce is literally like the nicest guy I've ever met on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, cause I only knew him through Facebook. Um, and his name is Bruce Couch for people who don't know. But, you know, on Facebook, he's kind of this snarky, uh, hyper liberal. He's, he's very salty. Yeah. Like just kind of, you know, like our politics vibe. But, you know, he's kind of aggressive with it. Mm -hmm. And then you meet the guy and he's like the most laid back, down to earth, just gentlest soul you could ever meet. And so the only reason I wanted to say that is because I think oftentimes we paint the wrong picture or impression of people based on their Facebook um, comments or the way they post. And like, 
it's not like he was putting on a show in person like that. That's the real Bruce. And so yeah. I think that's just important to keep in mind. If, if someone's maybe rubbing you the wrong way on social yeah. media, maybe defer your judgment until you actually meet them. Oh, for sure. And I, same, I met Bruce, you know, a few years ago and figured out that we had this, I, I met him because we had the Alvord desert in common. And I don't remember how it came up, but I found the, this group on Facebook I figured out that this guy's kind of the ringleader and yeah. got to got to be friends with him and since then have spent some time out there with him and, and, a, and a bunch of other friends and it's been fantastic. Um, what I was getting at though is that I have been working on a, um, a documentary about the Alvord Desert, which is very interesting because I love going there and taking pictures. I love experiencing it. I love being in nature. And I also know that that very thing is part of what's ruining it. Yeah. And that's what the documentary is about. It's about mm. the increased traffic on this. Uh, it's, it's BLM land. Mm-hmm. It is, it has no revenue, which means it has almost no um, resources. Yeah. There's no refor- resources. Um, I actually had, uh, I have an interview scheduled with the BLM regional manager and he's a really sweet guy. So I'm hoping to go out there and see him fairly soon, but they know, they know they can't take care of it because of the photographers sharing it on Instagram and everybody coming there. And it all came to a head last year during the pandemic because the national forests and the state parks were all closed. Mm -hmm. So people were like, well, we'll go to BLM land because that's unregulated, which is stupid, but that's the reality. And so they had the largest traffic day probably 1200 cars on Memorial day last year on the playa. But I love what you're doing because instead of throwing up your arms and saying, we don't want any more people going to this place and don't tell anyone about the Alvord, um, you know, the secret's out. Right. So at this point it's about, um, getting people to love the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but not just love it to death, like actually learn, learn about it, learn what makes it tick. Um, and how, like, for example, when I knew I was going out there, um, one of Bruce's friends on Facebook, and she's my friend too, she posted something about people putting, uh, having campfires on the playa right. on the airboard. And I was like, what's the big deal? You know, it's a giant desert. You know, what's going to, what are you going to catch on fire? The sand, right? But I'd never been there. So I was generally just asking kind of sarcastically, but yeah. Was it Erica? It was Erica. Yeah. Erica's a local friend here. I'm I'm friends with her in person as well. But it was great because, you know, she took the time to say, well, actually, it's because, you know, the property to the northwest of it is all like prairie and pasture and like if the winds shift direction and they often do, then it can whip up the coals and like start a huge fire. Yeah. I was like, sold, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what you're doing in educating the public about the place is sure it's going to draw a little bit more attention to it maybe, but it's also going to instill in people some knowledge about the place so that they know how to properly, um, engage with it in a way that's not going to ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. And that's, I'm, I'm kind of the same, that's my same thought process. It's, it's an education thing, but also it's, in this case, telling the story from the perspective of the people who live there yep, and saying like, what is this like? This is not just your vacation destination. 
Mm-hmm. And and what about the people who live here? What about the people who just bought the house on the on the edge of the playa and have animals, livestock, are planting all kinds of vegetation and trying to um, homestead and have like cattle there? Well, right. All that crap you do on the edge of the playa it affects them. So yeah, it's an interesting thing to do um, to, to kind of dig into those stories. But I, I, I say that because I think. We oftentimes, we think of, I'm a photographer and I go take pictures of stuff, or I'm somebody who goes and cares about nature and goes there to experience nature. And I think it's interesting that your experience crosses between, it's not, one's not more important than the other. Right. Yeah. Maybe it is, I, you know, but, but maybe it's not. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because when that comment was posted on my thread, celebrating my achievement <laughs> let's not forget that that they went out of the way to leave a negative comment on my post about something i was proud of right. but i think what to, to in their defense like you know there is a i can see that viewpoint you know um you know this stuff isn't simple it's not black and white it's there's a lot of nuance well uh okay so we got completely derailed there that's what um, happens on podcasts. It is. It is. Well, I love, so kind of what made me think about that was that I got into the Alvar Desert because of the Steens Mountain, which is right next to the Alvar Desert. Yeah. And I have spent an insane amount of time backpacking and farting around and doing kind of stupid stuff up there. Okay. Um, <laughs> there are no, there really are no trails. Um, it's up at about 10,000 feet, which doesn't yeah. seem high to you. From Colorado, no, no, it's legit though. It's got some prominence. Yeah, it's it. It. I've been up there where we've been, um, eighty-five, ninety in the day, and then it dropped down to like twenty-five at night. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, I can't, you know, backpacked in, in inside of a canyon next to a lake, and then we also had one trip that we affectionately call Broke Tent Mountain. <laughs> <sighs> because one of the guys we were camping with brought kind of a a shitty Eddie Bauer tent, I think. Or Eddie Bauer or something like that, you know, like LLB. Walmart special. Well, I mean, it was like at least an outdoor company. Sure. But it was but it was like a big, like oversized family dome tent. And just right. like in the middle of the night, you know, poles are splinter, splintering everywhere. And then we're oh. like cramming three guys in, I think it was four guys into a, a two-man, three-man mountaineering tent. And then oh, yeah. two more guys under the fly. It sounds like the name of your trip is very uh, apt. Yeah. Well, I, I have I have one of those um, Mountain Hardware Trango. Uh, it's the Trango 3 mountain. And it's like a mountaineering tent, like a full full four season, you know, yeah. with the, it's, it's got a huge vestibule on the fly. And so, yeah, we stuffed two guys into the vestibule and there you and, go. And, and two more guys inside with the two of us that had been intending to sleep there. <laughs> Needless to say, it was a lot of mess to clean up the next morning. Lots of poles and shredded. Uh, it, it reminded me of like the pictures you see of like base camps where, yeah, everything got trashed. There's just shards and scraps of nylon everywhere. So, what was it about the Steens that you that drew you there? Well, I when so when I was growing up, my dad uh, took me there um, to go. There's uh, hunting for a lot of different things up there. Um, there's, it's, it's known for sage grouse, which I never hunted there, but the, it's a, it has like national refuge status for sage grouse. 
Yeah, okay. Um, and then there's antelope up there. I don't know if you had seen any around the area, but we see them almost every time. And then there's mule deer down in the in kind of lower elevations. Nice. And so we I went out there hunting a couple times, but this is the kind of the odd thing is when I was in high school, there's a cross country running camp, a high altitude running camp in the Steens. And a friend of mine knew about it and said, Hey, we should go check this camp out. I ended up going as a camper for three years. And then I went, ended up going back as a staff member for two years. Nice. Yeah. And so I've spent enough time up there that when I became an adult, I was like, well, I'm going back there and I'm gonna start backpacking. And so that was kind of, that's kind of what turned it on for me. And that's funny. That's, um, that's kind of how I got turned on to the San Juans here in Colorado. I was a camp counselor at a outdoor uh, adventure camp for middle school and high school kids oh, Nice um, here outside of Durango. And we would go on backpacking trips into the San Juans. And that like the first time I got to see um, all the grenadiers and just these crazy pointed gnarly peaks, I was like, this is insane. Right. I got to come back here, you know? So yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I think the weird part about Steens is that it's, there's nothing like it in Oregon. Um, Whenever I post pictures there, people go, I don't, where is that? that? What am I even looking at here? Because there's these giant U-shaped mile deep glacial gorges. Right. It kind of resembles like, like Glacier National Park. Right. It has some of that vibe. Um, And you can drive to within a half mile of the summit. So, which is, really weird. So even though it's that accessible, there's all this like, it's very, very undeveloped BLM land. So it's not a park. There are very few trails. Well, it's the middle of nowhere. It is the middle of nowhere. And I, <laughs> I think that's one of the things that keeps it from being more popular and, and more overrun. Yeah. I mean, what is it from the outboard? Like the nearest Decent sized city is like 160 miles. Yeah, yeah. Burns, well, Burns is Burns is about 85. 85. From, yeah. Oh, actually, no. I think you're right. I think it's more than that. You can get to 85 miles from the playa if you go the back way to Burns. Still um, though. Yeah, still. And then you know you can get gas in Field Station, but you know you're pumping yeah, it for yourself, the, and it's for a little, like a kidney. Yeah. See, and I'm one of those people I always buy. I always fill up there because oh, I, I did too. <laughs> because I love because I love them. I'm like I'm buying stuff, I'm tipping well and I'm buying gas. So Yeah, thank you for being here. <laughs> and if you ever like want to go there and not backpack and camp and that sort of thing, they have a little hotel there too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah so awesome. So anyway, w- once again, I I drove the tangent even further. I w- one of the things I wanted to talk about is, you know, kind of the we've been talking about the outdoors. We've been talking about being people who would say we're like outdoorsmen. You know, that's mm-hmm. a thing that we care about. Um, and the last two episodes I've recorded, one was with David Johnston mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And David is becoming kind of a big deal in the NFT space over on uh, kind of around Twitter and the crypto cryptoverse, the crypto uh, community. Oops. And yep. And then last week I interviewed uh, Jared Armijo um, and Jared um, also has been very successful there and just sold out a a giant collection of his, of his best work. And part of why I thought was interesting to talk is because there is a, there's some conversation about the ecological impact of um, blockchain technology. Uh, yep. specifically um, 
Ethereum, the one that's yeah. used for most of the current NFT market. Yeah. And and also um as much as it's not used for for um NFTs, Bitcoin also has kind of the same mm-hmm. ecological impact. And I this is a lightning rod for sure. Um mm-hmm. just today I saw one photographer jumping in and saying essentially you're all um drinking the Kool-Aid and this is this is not real. And then I saw some really prominent photographers that are involved with NFTs say that guy is clueless. He has no idea. And early adopters, you know, people always miss out. Well, they're both right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> you, I thought you're the per- per- perfect person to talk to about it because you and I both don't get uh, our uh, we don't get hurt over disagreements. But we did go back and forth a bit on, on on our DMs, and I thought it would be great to just talk a little bit about where things sit. And I'll I'll preface this with saying that you already had an amazing episode with um, Alex Noriega and Alex Nail and um, Bryn and I I know Schmidt. Bryn Schmidt. I always think of her as Bryn Elise because that's her uh, yeah, art handle. Right. Yeah. Um, but you had a great conversation with them, but. I thought it'd be great to talk to you when you're not the moderator. I love it, and, and because I uh, because I, I I'm a little less. I yeah, know you have opinions. Reserved, and you didn't really share. Yeah, you didn't really share them that much in that episode. And you kind of when you're in, I don't know when you're moderating a panel. Yeah, kind of have to. It's yeah. yeah, it's your job not to. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's fine. Um, but it's been interesting because I'm friends with uh, not as not as good of friends with them as you are, but I've been talking with Bryn. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm probably recording a podcast with her this week as well. Cool, awesome. Yeah, and and I'm I'm in a, a small group talking with uh, Noriega all the time right now. Yeah, totally. So it would be cool to kind of get a sense for. I know what they think. Um, I know what some of our friends like Ben Horn, uh, what he's putting out publicly. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm using his name because he puts it out there himself. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's ashamed. No, he's not. Um, and parenthetically, I mean, I love Ben. I just don't think that approach is terribly useful. Ben has, he is very opinionated and he's, he's putting it out there, right? Yeah. I mean, and it basically you're just creating, I mean, it's like politics. Like if all you do is, you know, post like, I love Trump or I hate Trump. Like basically you're going to shut down the conversation right at the start. Right. Um, and you know, for some people that's fine, but being the pragmatists that we are, Dan, that doesn't fly for me very well. So I would rather have a nuanced conversation about the holistic picture of something and then make a educated decision based on all of the information that's available and my own situation. Yeah. Okay. So that being said, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cut out all of the, the crap. Tell me what you're, tell me what you're thinking. Like what, where's the beginning of this, um, thought process for you? Or, oh, or maybe not where's the beginning, but like, how did you get where you are now? And yeah, and yeah. Can... Well, totally. So, I mean, just like everybody else, well, not everybody, but just like probably, I don't know, 75% of the community, I got swept up in the excitement of it all. And, and I started to see the success that people are having and, you know, I'm, I would not be honest if I didn't admit that I had a little bit of FOMO myself, you know, some, so like, um, I was, 
really interested in the technology. I didn't really know much about the environmental impacts or the carbon impacts that NFTs presented, especially on the Ethereum blockchain, which is a whole other can of worms we can talk about. But I had no idea really much about that. And actually, David Johnson, as you mentioned, he reached out to me and said, hey, do you, are you still interested in jumping in? And I was like, sure, let's do this. So he invited me to foundation. Um, really grateful for him doing that. By the and way, was, nobody gets an invite that easily. <laughs> well, he and I so, have been talking. Yeah, for a yeah. Long no, time, I'm just but, I'm just messing with you. But yeah, and, and so I was like, sweet, cool. And then I, I minted a few NFTs and um, and then immediately had this massive backlash in the community um, that I was at first kind of like, oh, I did not expect this. Right. Uh, what, what's going on? And, you know, had some really down to earth conversations with a lot of really smart people um, who presented me with a lot of information. And, um, you know, I had to kind of at the end of the day, what it boiled down to for me was my values. Um, And I know that is easily more easily said than done for a lot of people in terms of their economic situation or or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky, I guess you could say, to be able to say that I, I have a full-time job and I have a stable income and my wife is a full-time job and has a stable income. And I'm doing, my financial situation is pretty good. Right. I mean, I'm not like, you know, buying yachts and, but if you didn't, but if you don't sell some art tomorrow, your kid still eats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not, like oh if I if I don't sell an NFT tomorrow like I'm not going to be able to get that cancer <laughs> surgery or whatever you know what I mean which that's a whole other conversation we can have about the authenticity or lack thereof of the uh, stories that people put out there to kind of sure. shill their NFTs um, so that, that's a whole other tangent we U- can go using down. yeah like mental health um, oh it's constant yeah and I don't I mean we can talk about that too but. Uh, long story short, I had a lot of conversations in private with Alex Noriega, Sarah Marino, um, you know, lots of my friends about NFTs. And at the end of the day, I mean, I even had just like, just so you know how far I took it. I even had like a collection ready to go for OpenSea mm-hmm. and I had the artwork ready for it and everything. And at the end of the day, I just shelved it all, shelved it all because I just could not uh, personally stand um, behind the decision to um, willfully uh, put that much impact on on my my carbon footprint in the hopes of making money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that that that, um, mental exercise is not as, that nuance for some people. I know, and I think that's where the, this conversation gets needs to be broken down in the community specifically is that it's not all bad and good. It's not all black and white, right? You know, for some people, like we can just use my friend Alex Noriega as an example. He already has a massively small carbon footprint. You know, he lives in an RV and relies on solar power 99% of the time. He doesn't hardly ever fly. He, he's afraid of flying. Um, 
and doesn't do hardly any international travel. Um, because of the pandemic, 80% of his income was completely wiped out. Like all of his income. I don't, I mean, if, if you workshop leading primarily, yeah, workshops, all that. And so NFTs is a way for him to become whole again. And also, Hey, if I, if I sell X amount of NFTs, that means I don't have to travel to Scotland and do this workshop where 10 people or whatever are going to fly into Scotland from all over the world to do this workshop with me. And so like the carbon offset is actually significant, but I, the caveat I will place is that I don't think everyone is making that calculus. I think a lot of people are like, Oh, this is just another way to make make more more money. money. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I can make more money and I don't really care about my carbon impact or maybe I, I guess I should with a caveat say, I think there are two people selling NFTs, people who, understand their carbon impact and are choosing to either justify it in some way or ignore it. And people who are just are completely ignorant of their carbon impact. Yeah. And, and maybe ignorant on purpose. Potentially. I mean, I think think that's, I think that's a fair assessment that there are some people who just like, I don't care. And it's not Yeah, like who cares? The world's ending anyway. Yeah. Well, I, (laughs) (laughs) I love that you, that you brought up, that nuanced thing where like Alex is a guy with a really low carbon footprint already. And then this allows him to change his behavior in some way. Right. I think to me that right there is that's the kind of argument that never comes up. Right. And, and, and there are, there are tons of resources from both sides. There's one article that's been going around that everybody just keeps sharing. And it's, it seems super scientific and, and good. And there's a lot to it. And then there's a couple other articles that are more like, eh, whatever, you do whatever you want. We're not making a big that big of an impact from a global standpoint anyway. And I think that somewhere oh, the, in the middle. The the sky isn't falling article. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Which I, I think I sent that to you and you're like, I've already seen that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I think like twenty five people have sent I think it TJ, to you. TJ sent it to you, I think. Yeah. What you told I mean me. it's actually it's useful, but it look, <clears throat> the other part of the equation that I think a lot of people aren't well, there's so many facets of this that people aren't considering, I think, but one of them in regards to carbon impact that people aren't thinking about is the nature of social media and human behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you spend any amount of time on Twitter as a photographer, you're going to see people being successful at selling NFTs and making money. And you're going to see all the community rallying behind them, rah, 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 good job, we love you, your work is amazing, parenthetically, even if it's not, and just saying. Fair and, enough. <clears throat> which is fair, I mean, it is it is what it is. Art uh, is subjective, right? People. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's because people are just, I love supporting other artists no matter what, and that's, that's fine. If you're positive, then positivity comes and back again, at you. And again, I'm pragmatic, so I'm like, can right. we just be honest here? But right. Anyway, uh, the problem is, is that you see that happening. Well, anyone sees that happening. 100,000 people, photographers on Twitter see that happening, and they all jump in too. So because of one or two or three people's success, um, and parenthetically, this is by design for the people who own all the Ethereum, by the way, all these other people jump into the marketplace, purchase Ethereum, mint their NFTs, 
And now you've created this exponential monster, just like on we see on Instagram with location sharing, where you have, okay, maybe you have like 10 or 15 photographers being successful at NFTs. Now you have thousands of other people constantly minting NFTs and creating more and more and more and more impact of carbon into the environment. And I think that's the piece people are missing out on that it's, it's a, it's a, it has a massive impact on a, you know, exponential scale. Yeah. That people are just not considering because you can't, you have to get your stuff up online in order to participate. Unless you're on OpenSea, I guess. Right. Uh, right. And, and like, that's an interesting, um, so in case anybody doesn't quite know how this works, there are different marketplaces. OpenSea allows you to, they have what's called lazy minting, where when you start, you just put, you just up, upload your stuff to their website and you put names on all that kind of crap. And then if it sells, then it goes through the minting process and becomes an actual NFT. It's actually not an NFT until it, until it gets bought. Right. Um, if you're on like a, a, a site like Foundation, Foundation requires you to mint it up front. So you're turning it into an NFT at the beginning, which means it gets a blockchain token assigned to it at the beginning. And to give you some example, I have one piece on Foundation that I did when gas was... And gas is you paying Ethereum to do a transaction with Ethereum. Right. So it's like you, you like you can't do stuff without paying for the network to operate. And so yeah, you're, you're basically paying for the electricity in order to add that thing to the blockchain. Yeah. And I think basically, yes, paying for the electricity, but the money, the gas is actually going to the people who are minting. Right. They, they actually make money. So every time they're able to mint a new token, they get paid. So as a good example... When I minted my first one, I think it cost me thirty dollars for yep. a, for an item that will end up costing about three thousand four hundred three hundred three thousand five hundred dollars for somebody who buys it. This morning, I looked at, hey, I'm going to mint one, and it, the the gas was a hundred dollars for the same exact thing. Jeez, and and so you kind of that starts to put it in perspective to think, okay, there's a there's an impact to making things go here now there's one really important piece that has come up with you. And I've heard a couple other people say it is that we're moving towards a future where crypto technology doesn't use the same carbon intensive process. And there's already, there's already some, some, some token uh, types and yeah, like Tezos or whatever. Yeah. 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 um, That they use a different technology. And I don't want to get into how that works except to say, it's super, super efficient compared to what we're doing now. Right. Like 99% more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people saying we should, and Alex said this on your podcast, why don't we just wait until Ethereum 2.0? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's my position. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I agree, like embrace the future technology, but do it in a way that's, that you can actually stand behind in your values Right. And it, I mean, honestly, I hate to say this, but if you're minting NFTs left and right, the message you're putting out there, and that's why people are so pissed off, is that I this is I value money more than the environment. And that, and I know that's not fair because that's a very black and white statement, but that is essentially what people can read it as. 
And yeah, I, and I can see that. I, 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 and I think that's maybe like, that's part of the nuance, right? Is to, is, is to say what you're doing while it may not have a super high impact. Like if I do something, it may be me doing it doesn't have a super, super high impact, but if I do it and I talk about it a lot and right. people see me doing it, that might cause not just me, but like 10 other people to do it. Exactly. So yeah. it'd be like, it would be like if you, uh, if you rode on the most gas inefficient train ride across America and then you tweeted the shit out of it for like a month to say how amazing it was and that everyone else should buy tickets on that train because it was so cool. Like it's the same thing. <laughs> what, what train is this, Matt? I want to go. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's <laughs> yeah. essentially what people are doing. Um, and they're happy to do so. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because there is there are some definite parallels here between Instagram uh, photo, you know, location sharing. It, there is. You know, um, Horseshoe Bend has a parking lot now because yeah. because people couldn't stop going. And now it's not the same. Right. I think what hasn't been discussed enough about NFTs is the... Um, the architects that are behind this entire um, thing, you know, yeah, the, that, and that's the, a super interesting thing that, yeah, you're, you're right. People aren't really talking about it. I mean, and I think part of the reason people aren't talking about it is a, they maybe just haven't thought of it, but also be like, these are very powerful people in, I don't want to say this loosely, but potentially shadowy, uh, positions in terms of like, this is an unregulated market. Um, the, you know, there's potentially money laundering involved in this process because literally, I mean, I personally, if someone is buying my art, I want to know where that money's coming from a lot of times. Right. Like right. if you, if someone were to say to you, Dan, like, let's say you sold 40 pieces of art to some guy online. Right. And then you found out that it was like, a Mexican drug cartel. like That would bum me out. Would that piss you off? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's the thing about Ethereum. I'm not I not would literally that, be part of their money laundering. That's, that's... Yeah, and, I don't, and that's the thing about um, Ethereum and the blockchain. Like, I'm not saying those people are money laundering, but I think there is a lot of potential for that in an unregulated market such as this. I mean, it is a perfect tax haven if you think about it. Until you take the money out, you don't have, it's not taxed. So all your capital gains on Ethereum are not taxed until you take the money out. <clears throat> um, and so, I mean, that's why the federal government is trying to put more regulation in place for cryptocurrency because it's it's really hard to track intentionally. Right. Um, I just saw an article yesterday um, by a tax attorney who's involved with crypto, who's reaching out to a bunch of other uh, tax attorneys and accountants to say like, how can we get ahead of this? Like, how can we give good advice to people who are doing crypto things in order to, to, to be in a good position next year when the, if the federal government goes, Hey, by the way, you don't have to have, you don't have to have exchanged it back into dollars. We're taxing it even if you have it as a, in Ethereum right. or, or in Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, let's think about how this system is set up. I mean, the people that created Ethereum, I don't know. There's like what four four main four main people who are involved in this, and they, you know, they essentially control like 
I don't know, a, lo- a huge percentage of the Ethereum that's in the marketplace. So they have bucket loads of money's worth of Ethereum. And so it's in their best interest to ensure that more and more and more people are buying Ethereum so that the price of Ethereum keeps going up. And they're... Sorry, I <laughs> I keep pausing and muting myself because my wife is leaving on a walk with the dogs and their claws on the hardwood floors are like... Oh. Click, 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 click. I have that same problem. I'm pausing for a second. Okay, she's going out the door now. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. So if you think, so if you look at the the arc of history on NFTs, for example, like the what's become popular has always been um, kind of dictated by those who, with the Ethereum, which is mm-hmm. like these the people that hold the tons of Ethereum. Right. And so, like we had the crypto punks, and then I don't know, there was a uh, like. The, was, the uh the board apes yeah and this like is one of the current ones right and and this is all by design like these these people understand that if they generate a bunch of hype about something it's gonna they, they understand human behavior like oh a bunch of people are gonna buy in it's gonna go crazy the price of this imaginary currency is gonna keep going up and so like they understand that by like i hate to say this but NFT landscape and nature photographers are just the newest victim in their kind of quest for making a ton of money. And my question, I guess, is what happens to that marketplace and all of the people who are investing so much of their time and so much of their energy and so much of their mental health resource in backing this this idea in their artwork when they decide that nature and landscape photography is no longer the thing that's in and, and people have become dependent upon that. Mm. What is going to happen then? Right. Sure. So I think that's one thing that we need to consider as a community, if we're going to be honest about it. And I think the other thing to consider is what happens to all of the people who aren't successful, who have bought into this idea that if you tweet 400 17,000 times on Twitter about NFT community hashtag and, and, you know, sheer shilling everyone else's NFTs, but no one's buying yours. Like, and what's wrong with me and how come my stuff's not selling? And like, we haven't, I mean, there's people I've seen, like their mental health is going down the, the, the tube uh, because they're not finding success in this market. Yeah. Well, what, <clears throat> so there's one thing that I think, I haven't heard anybody talking about this, but we, we've all, well, we've all heard people say that they take a break from Instagram because it wasn't good to have the FOMO and the constant seeing that everybody's life was awesome, more awesome than yours. And that I was going, I'm going to Horseshoe Bend and now I'm going to Arches and now I'm going to here. And then people go, I can't, I have to just get off here. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of crazy and rough, but it's even weirder when the idea that there's this whole FOMO thing with Instagram and that was just, I can't go to the places and put my beautiful pictures up, but now I can't, I can go pictures places I can put pictures up, but then people won't buy them. And what am I doing wrong? Right. And that's, that takes it to a different level. And I will tell you, I've experienced that where I put my heart and soul into putting work out there and then it just, it gets completely ignored and people people go, it's beautiful, but then nobody buys it. Well, let's, um uh, play devil's advocate for a second. Um, 
if you're somebody like me or maybe Ben Horn or whoever, and I'm not saying this is what Ben's thinking, but I have a feeling that there's a lot of this happening where you're on Twitter and all of a sudden you're seeing all these people get tons of money mm-hmm. um, because they're engaging in this new thing called NFTs. And, uh, but you've decided that's not for me. I can't, like, I, I can't do that. Like I can't contribute more to the, my carbon footprint. I just, I can't believe in that. That just, that's not for me. But you see all these people are constantly making money. The flip side of that is like, man, it really sucks to be, have values and, and have principles. Man, wouldn't it be so much easier to just throw all that in the, in the trash can and make a ton of money. And so I think a lot of the resentment that we see on Twitter and, and everywhere else towards that group of people is rooted in, I don't want to say jealousy, but it's like this, this idea of like, it's yeah, frustration. Must be, yeah, frustration is like, hey, man, like I've been working my tail off in these more traditional uh, ways that are proven to be less carbon intensive. And it's not being recognized to the same degree that, that NFTs are at this current moment in time. And I could see how that would be incredibly frustrating. I mean, you think about heralding back to the film digital divide, same mm-hmm. stuff, right? Like all these people who were like super hardcore into film, they saw their friends getting all this success in digital. And then they're like, oh, digital photography is right. not real <laughs> photography, you know? And it's the same idea, though. It's um, you see people engaging in a new technology or a new idea, and you know they they find success in it, and you're and you're kind of double down in your old ways. So I appreciate that kind of counter viewpoint that those people need to get with the times and you know learn about the technology. But at the same time, I think there's some additional nuance this time where I think your personal values should come first. Yeah. And I, I can totally see that. And I, I've got a, maybe an analogy that kind of fits this. Sure. You just talked about the idea of film and then switching into digital. This is maybe, I have enough friends and you, you have enough friends in the landscape world that you actually know people who used to make a living selling stock photography. Oh, buckets of it. Buckets and, of money. And most of those people, that, that disappeared that yeah. whole market was just, and it wasn't Overnight. because it wasn't because the work wasn't good. It's because we as a society moved to a different, a different economy in a lot of ways where everybody can take those pictures with their cell phones. We don't right. need your stock photography of half dome anymore because we already have that it's digital. Right. It's so easy to get your hands on that for cheap. So I don't need to pay anybody to go do it. And I'm certainly not going to, it's certainly not going to pay you hundreds of dollars. Right. Because you can get it really cheap. So what happened as a result is that a lot of those landscape photographers who were selling stock, which was probably pretty low carbon footprint, yeah, started leading workshops. Yep. That became the new economy of being a landscape photographer who makes money. Yep. So we moved. And most of them moved. And I would say, I would argue that that is a worse carbon impact to be a landscape photographer now than it was 20 years ago when you could sell stock. Oh, hands down. So if we were going to compare, what if now we're moving away from the idea of you have to sell tutorials and use up and you and be on YouTube all the time. 
and or fly people to locations instead of that education thing now we have photographers that are able to just make the art and sell the electronic version and this first couple of years it's kind of rough because ethereum is kind of a baby and it's not really very mm-hmm. good for the environment but it will sort itself out i think the nuanced question that you have to work through it for yourself personally and not not you but the royal yeah. you like everybody yeah is how do i fit all that together right can you justify is such a strong word you know like can you justify it but also how does it fit into your overall wor- worldview and your overall sense of how you're going to operate no i agree um i guess i would ask is um this is kind of in in general but like if we're thinking about corporations or individuals or any system of of government or or capitalism in general like do the ends justify the means and most of the time they don't right and so but we've come as a society especially in a capitalistic society we've become accustomed to well the you know money is worth anything doesn't matter like i'll sacrifice whatever to make money and i think that's because we're living in a capitalist society where that value is reinforced on a day-to-day basis in our lives right i mean Mm -hmm. Right now, we, you have teachers and nurses and, you know, people that provide tremendous day-to-day value getting paid less than people that, I'm sorry, but you, <laughs> you, you sell a digital piece of art to a wealthy person on the internet? Does that, does that make any fucking sense to you? It doesn't, but I, but in the same way that pro athletes getting paid millions of dollars doesn't make any sense to me. None. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have always had a strong distaste for professional, uh, like pro football, basketball, baseball, I've but it's only like, because of market economics. Right. And, right. and what people will like, pay to go to those games. People will pay pro- to go be part of that. And I, I think what kind of fundamentally, what fundamentally underlies this entire debate about NFTs is a, is a fight over values and, and it it just reinforces kind of this this reality that we face, especially in in basically the West and especially in the United States, where the value of money trumps the value of anything else. Like, um, and that's what we value as a society. We would we would much rather. I mean, it just plays out in all the statistics. We would much rather have money than health. We'd much rather have money than nature and the environment. We would much rather have money than family and friends. Um, it just plays out day in, day out with right. people's behavior, their spending habits, how they spend their time. Um, and I think and I think that's what you're seeing is you're seeing people who are fighting against that value system. Uh, they're just they're voicing their opinion that, hey, this doesn't jive for me. Um, and I think that's at the base of what we're even seeing, what we're seeing here. Okay, so let me point it a little different direction. Yeah. So in sociology, one of the things that's that gets talked about a lot is the idea that the Western world we're working on ideas of like green energy and ways to move towards green energy sources, mm-hmm. but we're not okay with the third world taking the first minor steps into the into industrial ages because sure. it's not okay for it's not okay to do that because it's bad for the environment but they are people who desperately need 
money and infrastructure. And there's no, we're not going to dump a whole bunch of solar panels and thermal and um, uh, geothermal uh, sources there for them because the technology is too expensive. No, maybe and, we should though. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and there's certainly cool ways to do that. Like um, one of the things is that the Honold Foundation is working with Rivian to like take the rejected batteries that can't power cars anymore and to save the to be deep storage for power that comes off of solar panels that are mounted on the top of like primitive houses. Super Sweet. cool. Yeah. Super cool idea. But I, I say all this because it's, we want clean energy, but we're not willing to let people who don't have access to it work their way up. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about what the NFTs have meant to digital artists who in some cases this is the first time they've ever sold their art for money. This is the first time they've ever been able to have a way to sell this stuff to anybody. And there's people in parts of the world who Oh yeah. are, you know, I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. super uh destitute and have no money at all who are selling NFTs and like it's a massive uh boon to them and I totally can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, there was somebody in Bangladesh that I was listening to on a on a Twitter space a couple of days ago. Yeah, I was, was saying, on a Twitter space, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago. And there was somebody in sub-Saharan Africa who had yeah. to use like a, maybe it was, it was in Nigeria. They have to use a proxy. To, they had to, yeah, they had to use a, because, yeah. Because cryptocurrency is illegal in their country. Right. And I was like, I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. So So that's the part that's interesting is that there are legitimately people out there who are scrambling just trying to make ends meet and this all of a sudden is like a game changer for them it allows them to all of a sudden go i've been making art i've been struggling making this art and all of a sudden people are willing to pay me 800 dollars for a piece of art and that's a complete game changer for them i I agree and i I can totally appreciate that i mean i know tj thorne's a good example of that tj is like one of the hardest working photographers he works his butt off. He's completely dedicated to the craft. And it's so it's cool to see him find an audience and, and a collector base that want to pay cool. him for it. It is cool. And, you know, I'm afraid that my comments are going to sound really callous. And uh, TJ knows you love him. <laughs> simplified. And this isn't about TJ. This yeah, is yeah. just in general. But like, I mean, I guess, first of all, like I work my ass off too. Like I have a full-time job. I'm a... Yeah parent i'm the planning commission chair of my city um i'm writing a book i have a weekly podcast um i'm pretty busy dude i work my ass off um and i make it work uh and i know that's easier said than done for some people you know like i can appreciate the privilege that i have i'm a white male uh you know i didn't come from a family of sexual or physical abuse. You know, I have lots right. of privilege right. that's underlying a lot of my success. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I don't have struggles with mental health and all of that. So that's my caveat, right? Like right. That's my <laughs> disclaimer. But at the same time, it's like, um, you know, if you're not making it as a full-time artist, like there's other ways to make it in life, you know? And I know that a lot of people like that's their dream, and for some people like me who maybe aren't as good as artists, you got to make it like with lots of different ways. You know, it's more than art. It's, you know, you have like seven irons in the fire instead of two. Um, 
so I can appreciate the struggle. Right. Um, I guess, I guess my thing is, is it's really dangerous to put all your eggs in one basket, you know? And I think what we're going to find is because of the way that this market is dictated by the kingmakers at the top who control all the Ethereum, what we're going to find, this is a prediction. And if I'm wrong, you can, maybe we can make a bet 20 bucks or something, but you know, what is that? Like 0.0001 ETH or something <laughs> like that. Something like that. Uh, but you know, like I, I think it's going to go away. It's not enough of, to mint an NFT. I'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> I think, I think we're going to see this market kind of fade away and go into some other form of art. Maybe it's, I don't know. I think the next big thing in NFTs is going to be music. Right. Um, Cause you know, there's oh, a I don't lot disagree. of, yeah. there's a lot of desperate musicians out there too, man. <laughs> Well, so I'll, I'll play the opposite side and say that there, I have some thoughts about, I think that the, the, the idea that you have to like, you create your art and then you get on the blockchain and you assign a value and you create this, this thing, I think that's going to go away. But I think what is going to change is that we will start to see digital objects have built in digital identity. Mm-hmm. It'll just be built in. Like you'll you will you'll take a picture, and when you export it from Lightroom, there will be a non-changeable portion of the metadata that's a blockchain entry. And then I your photo, yeah. Let's say you your your photo shows up on a website somewhere, and like at the same time that it shows up on a website, you get paid into your address because love that it, it's built into the picture. Nobody can use it without you getting paid for it, and it phones home and tells everybody where it's been. Well, and we didn't talk about this, but one of the positives of NFTs is fucking artists are finally getting paid. That's true. That's true. You know, that's great. I, I love, love the, I love it because, you know, whenever I take pictures for, and we talked about this in depth on your podcast, but I'm a commercial photographer. Yeah. I had a headshot session two days ago. I've got product pr- photography stuff I'm doing. Every single time I license those images, they pay to use it and I own the copyright. Yeah. But there's almost no way to enforce it. Like I have totally. to take them to court. I'd have, you know, so yeah, wouldn't it's... it be cool if the photo just wouldn't even let itself be used unless somebody paid for it. Right. And so I, I like the future where we have all this digital identity assigned to everything, but it kind of pisses me off that I have to pay somebody to put it in their marketplace and they take a cut of it. Right. Because the whole idea is it's supposed to be decentralized. It should be, I put my art out and somebody goes, hey, that's really cool. And then they just pay you directly. Right. There shouldn't be all these weird marketplaces. And so I think we're we're in a weird growing phase. And yeah, it has a high carbon impact right now. And yeah, we have to use OpenSea and Foundation and all this crap and Twitter. But I think at some point we will start to see a bridge between digital objects will will just be a thing and you won't have to be going through this like, like you don't have to like, mint you don't have to go through all this big hassle to decide whether you're going to be an nft artist how about you just be an artist and an nft is just another form you can sell your art in yeah i think it's going to be like 500 px like people are going to look back and be like that was really stupid (laughs) i mean it could be it could be but the only thing i think is maybe different than that and i've been trying to tell myself and my friends this is that i think it's wise to consider that we, we talk about the NFT community and this crypto community. And I think it's weird to call it a community when all it is, is 
a way to sell your art. Outside of selling it, there's no intention. If I make an NFT, it is a item that needs to be sold. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, it can't be, I guess it can be enjoyed other ways, but the intention of being part of the community, part of minting is to put it on a marketplace and sell it, yep. which is significantly different from putting it on Instagram or putting it on Facebook or Flickr or selling a print. Um, I mean, not selling a print, but it's different than creating a physical print. It's right. It, we're creating a whole community around selling. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to have the fact that I'm selling and I'm part of a community define how I make the art mm-hmm. that I wouldn't make it unless there's a market for it. I think it's kind of bullshit. And I don't, yeah. wanna, I don't want to go there. I don't, I don't want it to change how I make art. And I think that's an astute observation. I think the other thing is, is, and maybe this is just um, me thinking about what, what we really should be searching for in terms of our personal meaning instead of dollars is thinking about projects like what you're doing with the Albert. Like, wouldn't it be great if as artists, we were spending time creating things um, that actually potentially made a difference in the world, um, not just in our own pocketbook. And isn't it too bad that because of our economic system that we live in, that that's what we've been forced to do. Like, I would love it for the David Johnsons and the TJ Thorns of the world to just be able to follow their passion and create art and like not have to worry about putting food on the table for their kids. Right. That'd be awesome. Um, So, you know, I'm angry at the economic system that we find ourselves in that forces people to, to make questionable value judgments in order to survive. Okay. So let me throw something else out there for you. Cause I think this is, this is kind of interesting. I have a project, a collection that I put out about a week ago on Tuesday, and it is photos of mud cracks from the Albert Desert. And I've sold three of them. Yeah. And I sold them for about $850 each. Yeah. And I've committed to giving 10% of everything I make off those directly to the Oregon Natural Desert Association. Yeah. That's money that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So I'm peeling money off of the Ethereum blockchain and that economy and I'm pumping yep. it right back into conservation efforts yep. locally. And and Jordan Ingley, who you just interviewed, just cut a check for like five grand yeah, to, I saw that to Friends the of the, of the Col- Gorge. Yeah. Friends of the Gorge. And I I literally I actually won a contest with them here a few months ago. And the guy who's one of the main dudes came to my house and delivered some prints to me. So I've actually met the real guy there. I know what his what his life is like. I know about his family. I know that it's he's a real person with boots on the ground. Yeah. So that's a weird thing to weigh out. Like, yeah, okay, Jordan made a bunch of money, but Jordan also gave a bunch of money that he wouldn't have otherwise had and probably would have never been I don't want to say he wouldn't be that generous in normal life, but he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have had this moment to just go like it's all funny money anyway. Why can't I share some of it? And so I, that's a weird thing to think about. Like well, now you're, go ahead. I was just saying, isn't it interesting that when faced with a ethical dilemma, we come up with a way to, <laughs> I mean, like there's plenty of people who are in the NFT space who had a lot of money before NFTs and have a lot of money after NFTs. Right. And they're only 
I'm not saying Jordan is one of those people, by the way, but you know, they're only spending that money and donating that money because it's a way for them to justify their behavior. Well, I think that's an interesting, no, it's, it's, that's a super interesting idea because like I personally, I don't, this is maybe getting myself in hot water here. I don't believe in buying carbon offsets. Me neither. I, I have always felt like it seems kind of like a weird backwards way of doing things. Like how about you just don't use the carbon in the first place? Yeah. And, and you can't, you can't just give some money to some organization and they're going to plant some trees. Like for me, I've been a member of like three different conservation organizations for a few years and I yeah. specifically give money to them directly and I'm a member and I, I volunteer my photos to be used. Yeah, it's same, but I think three for me as well. Yeah. yeah. Because I know that they're making an actual difference in preserving the environment and, and keeping that area from being developed. Yep. You know, they're keeping it that way. I feel like it, it's a weird thing where in some ways being able to go, Hey, I've got money from this that I can give is it's actually making a, a larger impact in some ways than if you were just carbon neutral. Like, and I know that's a weird thing to judge and weigh out. No, no, like, no. I, um, it's funny because when I, um, when I minted my first NFTs, I had the same calculus myself. In fact, I was like, I've really wanted to give a ton of money to X pro X nonprofit or Y nonprofit. Like right. I would love to be able to do that. And man, NFTs is such a great way for me to be able to open the door for me to be able to do that. And that was one of the ways that I was like, let's go, let's do this. Right. And, but at the end of the day, like I just wasn't comfortable with the calculation. Sure. Like, is it really, um, well, the math isn't super clear. I mean, that's the part that's... That, that is part of the problem. I, I think that's the thing is like, you can send me an article that says, hey, it, it is this much impact. And then there's somebody else who goes, no, 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 I got this article from this guy and it says that it's this. Um, I know. And like, what was it? I think is it super rare claims that the same amount of uh, carbon impact happens whether the NF NFTs are sold or not because you're such a minuscule part of the blockchain. Which could be true. I don't... It could be true. It could be kind of true. Um, well, that... that... Again, that doesn't take into account the whole social media thing I was talking right. about. Right, we're before. ramping the whole thing up, and yeah. even if, even if the NFTs are only three percent, it doesn't mean that we're not impacting it by ten or fifteen or twenty. Right. I mean, if you even look at the value of Ethereum, you can see. I mean, if you look at the value of Ethereum over time, and you look at the points in time where the people who have all the Ethereum have launched these kind of campaigns, like cyberpunks, and and now we're in landscape photography, NFT world, you can line that up with a graph to see where the value, and it's 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 very obvious. Like, oh, new campaign, yeah. value of Ethereum goes up. Well, and so we're, we're at a weird inflection point where this last week, um, I we all watched the whole market go completely nuts because- Oh, it's, it's split or something, right? Well, no, Visa, the credit card company, bought a cyberpunk. Oh, <laughs> Right. And when they did that, like everything went nuts and every, like every creator, every creative artist house that makes those little like avatar projects, they all went nuts and everybody started buying those and it went crazy. It happened to coincide the same day I dropped my landscape photography collection and it was like yeah. crickets. Nobody wanted to buy pictures. Um, but right. that happened. And then like two days later, or maybe the day after, um, like Ja Rule 
or I think it was Ja Rule, what a rapper. Yeah. Bought bought a certain kind of um avatar project. And everybody's like, whoa, look at that. And they all jumped on board. And then a few days later, MasterCard bought something. And and then over the last, I think it was over the weekend or maybe like Friday, a bunch of pro athletes started buying up punks, cyberpunks. And when they did that, the whole market just exploded. So there's this weird kind of cultural crossover where corporate money is starting to swap with cryptocurrency. Right. So the, it'll be interesting. I, I know you said like maybe it's just going to go away and we're going to laugh at it like uh, 500px and it'll be just like, oh, that's the thing we used to do. I wonder though if we are, I just wonder what's going to happen because I don't yeah, think cryptocurrency is going anywhere. No, I don't think it's going to go anywhere either. I just think the whole landscape the PayPal. craze is going to shift to something new. Something if you different. get into your PayPal app, you can buy cryptocurrency right from the PayPal app. Right. Like that it's been embraced at that level. So Yeah, and it's interesting too, right? Like there's plenty there's plenty of other activities that we engage in as human beings that are as bad or even worse uh carbon in terms of the impact like traveling internationally. Right. And like I don't see a lot of people questioning like pro athletes who travel to Italy or travel to Australia or like travel to China and like right. all these international flights that happen. And then like their Instagram stories that are talking about how awesome it is to be in China or whatever. And like, but it's the same idea. Right. And I think if we're going to be honest about, I mean, look, if you were, if you're to believe what the IPCC put out about climate change, we have like 10 years right. or whatever, like before, it's irreversible and sayonara planet earth, you know? And if, if you were to take any stock in what that science says, which I think we should, we should be questioning everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like don't just be like, Oh, NFTs are cool and it's fine. Like, like put, like make, do the calculation for yourself, you know? And I, I think that is one thing, positive thing that's come out of NFTs and the conversation is that people are actually starting to do that. Right. They're like, oh yeah, I guess I did have a carbon impact that was pretty big. That's that's kind of crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think I think at the end of the day, we just and that's my whole thing about the Twitter thing. I just wish there was more It's an echo chamber for sure. It's an echo chamber and I just wish there was more honest conversation about it publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I'm I sure think the that, tr- the tricky part there is I think that there's an there's a thought from the pro NFT side that nobody wants to come over and have a nuanced conversation. All it is is like rocks, like somebody shows up in Twitter, throws a rock in and then runs away and that they don't actually want to have a conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I and mean, I'm not I just, saying that's you. I'm just saying like, I've seen that. I saw it today. No, I've seen it happen too. I mean, I, I challenged Ben Horn like a week ago. I was like, Hey man. I appreciate what you're saying, but there's more nuance here. Let's have a conversation. And to be clear, we both love Ben. Ben's a good guy. Love Ben. Um, I I'm a big fan and um, super good dude. And I like that's part of the thing that's hard is like in a lot of ways I don't want things to take to pull us apart as landscape and outdoor photographers. I want things to bring us together. I want well, there's them. a lot of tribalism. Oh happening. yeah. Well, and that's there's some fun stuff that I'm working on with some friends in the space to eliminate some of that inside of, you know, people who are over there. And like, that's going to be interesting to kind of roll out and see how, how it happens. Um, we're very close to doing some things that 
that kind of brings some people together, I think. I mean, I know it sounds hokey, but how hard would it be? And I know Twitter is the worst pr- platform for this because, you know, you have a character limit, but you could do a thread. But what if, what if you said, here's my new NFT collection or here's my new NFT on foundation or whatever, and the carbon impact is 2,700 kilograms of carbon. And because of that, um, if this sells um, and that carbon impact is realized, say using OpenSea, for example, I will no longer um, be hosting these three workshops because, and that will have a more significant carbon uh, deficit. And so it's actually carbon positive. That's like, super cool. Yeah. Why don't no, we I, do see, that? I love, I love that kind of thinking though. That makes a lot of sense or, or I mean, people uh, would have no way to refute that. They'd be like, Oh, he's, he's being straight. Through. Yeah. He's being he straight through. Good on him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. When I think, and I hope, I hope we get to a point where it's easier to do the math and to know. Well, yeah. Or if, um, if, if 2.0 comes out and people are like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, I know and, there, there is a large push right now. Um, there's another, a friend of mine on there that I've talked to quite a bit. Her name's Judy Lindsay and she hosts a whole bunch of different spaces and is kind of the rah, rah, um, the, uh, the uh aunt Teresa of <laughs> the, the the mother Teresa aunt Judy Lindsay of the space and she's getting involved with another group um that that is going to be using a different blockchain that mm-hmm. is that is far less carbon impactful but it's it's an uphill battle because all of the old gosh it seems weird to say old money because it's literally since the beginning of this year but that's where all the activity is happening is in ether you know, and Ethereum. Right. I mean, I think this goes back to what I was saying before, like follow the money. Yeah. When it's weird, cause there's also like gatekeepers that I don't, I go, okay, the guy who's kind of the current gatekeeper, he's not really from the beginning of this. He just made it really big early. Cause he bought a bunch of punks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, yeah. The people that control the space are the people that have the ETH. Yeah. And well, however I, they got that is whatever, but I'm super interested in seeing where it's going. Um, It'll be, we should revisit this in a few Yeah, months. like six months from now? Wouldn't that yeah, be yeah. fascinating? Well, I, it was funny because like, I was... Remember that NFT thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or we'll or be like... Oh, man. Yeah, you owe me 20 bucks, Matt, because NFTs are like, this people is... don't buy prints anymore. That's NFTs 24-7. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we'll. I'll put a pin to revisit it. But it's it's funny because six months, um, I was joking that somebody says, oh, we, I can meet with you next week on next Friday. And I was like thinking in my head that's like six months down the road in this pl- on this, in this i know it changes so quickly yeah yeah so we'll have to revisit it but um this has been really cool because i i really like this kind of conversation and i don't think we changed each other's minds as much as we opened up like we you said some stuff that i was like dang that's a cool idea and so i like that i like when i am challenged enough to think okay let's Let's not just change our minds, but let's maybe think of new solutions. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's right or wrong in this world when it comes to some things. You know, it's yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it too, man. This has been a lot of fun. So you're going to be cranking on getting this book done. Yeah, which is cool. Which I'm sure has carbon impact. <laughs> <laughs> How many trees do they have to cut down for those things? I know, right? Like <laughs> probably like at least six. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, um, next time you come out to Oregon, give me some more advance notice. Um, I would love to meet up with you. Um, 
I joked around last time we talked that I was like, I, I have like a snapshot of you at John's red point from across the, uh, the viewpoint area. So I know we've actually like been in the same place at least once before. Oh yeah. You should send that to me. I will. I will. It's pretty blurry. It was, I wasn't intending to like take a real picture. You were stalking me. Probably. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Lance Rudge was in the picture too. So I know uh, Terrence Lee was there. That Terrence, day. Yeah. Terrence was out there. Lance was there and you were there. So yeah. Um, that was the anyway. only time I've been there. Oh man. It's yeah. It's a, it's a weird place. Um, it's lots of duds there, but it goes off. That was that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty fun. Well, um, Hey, this has been really fun. I, I oftentimes ask, gosh, this is weird. Cause you talk to everybody. Is there anybody that you think I should be talking to either about this topic or just about anything else in general? Yeah, there's a there's a guy on Twitter who has been really thoughtful about this topic and engaging. Um, his name's Kieran Metcalf. Mm-hmm. He would be interesting to talk to specifically about NFTs. I think he's probably even more so in the other camp, but he's very thoughtful about it. Um, and he's open-minded about having conversations and things of that nature. So that could be good. Yeah. I think it would be fascinating. I'm sure you've already thought of this, but it would be really fascinating to to have a wholesome and honest conversation with someone who collects NFTs. Yeah, like I'm trying. Sh- who has a shitload of ETH? You know. So like, here's why. Here's why that's tough is that most of them kind of are anonymous. I know. Uh, every once in a while, there's somebody who is a photographer and also collects. Right. And that's a little easier to sort out who they are. But um, right. Like, what's your name? Cactus. Yeah. What's your name? D's. D's. <laughs> okay. Well, and luckily, um, a couple of us have some relationships with some of them. Uh, actually, there is a pretty good. I'll have to. I'll send you the link. But there's there is an interview with D's, with a guy oh. who is actually from the financial world. Interesting. Which is kind of yeah. Which is kind of cool. I mean, I will say one thing. Those guys are geniuses. Oh yeah. When you and especially if you listen, like um, for anybody who's listening to this, get on Twitter and find D's Fi. D-E-E-Z-E-F-I. That's his Twitter handle. He holds these spaces and and it's crazy, but he gets like all of his cronies, like is the best way to put it. Like he, they all call themselves D-Gens, but they all come huh. in. Yeah. <laughs> all these guys and their avatars on Twitter are all like punks and apes and stuff. And they all come in together and they just start talking about trading and where the markets are going and what Ethereum's doing and like what where the trends are going. And it's really fascinating. Even if you don't totally believe in what they're doing or or like what they're doing, it's they're super smart about it. Like, oh yeah, it's like I mean, listening to really really brilliant investors talk, except it's right. a bunch of like twenty three and you know twenty five year old dudes. And I don't know how old get, these is. He might be older than that. But we didn't get to talk about this at all. But you know, at the core, we're still recording. <laughs> you know, for me, at the core of the NFT thing, and 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 someone who makes art makes photos. Like I want the person who's buying my, my work to actually really appreciate it. Um, not just because they see it as a tradable commodity mm-hmm. that's going to make them more money. And I know that's, I, I just did a huge eye roll. It's pie own. in the sky sort of. <laughs> I know it's kind of pie in the sky, but at the same time, like as artists, I feel like that's kind of a nice aspirational thing to, mm-hmm. to try to aim for. And there's some part of me, maybe it's this uh, socialism bent that you might have picked up on, but (laughs) 
there's some part of me that's like, I don't want my photography only to be a cog in a huge financial wheel that, you know what I mean? I get that. I get that. Well, and I have a, yeah. a, I have a very brief anecdote. The first person who ever bought my NFTs, when I met him, he gave me a big giant tour of his metaverse gallery. Like for two hours, we were talking on, we were on discord, oh, we oh. were talking and we, he basically gave me a tour through his entire gallery. And there's, I mean, just an insane amount of crypto art in there, an insane amount. And then he walked me into a room and I was like, okay, this is cool. And then I saw our friend TJ's pieces on the wall. And then I was like, Hey, you know what you probably should get? How about, how about, um, have you heard of, uh, Alex Noriega? And he's like, Oh, I haven't heard of him before. I was like, I sent him a link the next morning when I came in there, he'd bought two of his pieces Jeez. and then he bought two of mine the next morning or the next day. And part of the reason why I suggested them is because he said, I love the art and I don't intend to sell these. Interesting. I'm a collector. I'm not a flipper. And he does flip some like avatar project things, sure. but he has a gorgeous, beautiful gallery full of really beautiful art. And so I think that, that perspective would be really interesting to hear from. Yeah. Um, and he's somebody I've talked to probably for like, I've prob- we've probably spent three hours on the phone at this point. Wow. Um, super, super interesting guy. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll have to see if he's, if he's willing to break his an- anonymity enough to have a conversation. Well, even if you didn't, I mean, I did a podcast with the guy from Public oh. Lands Hates You. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. You could just be like, whatever his Twitter, Twitter handle is or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I I have I haven't asked him yet just because the timing's not right, but super interesting guy and just a sweetheart. I mean, <laughs> really really funny and fun to talk to and just does it because he really loves it. So. And that's a perspective I think is missing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's I, I think we're hoping in in some ways to demystify some of this. Um Sure, cuz yeah. I think for a lot of people, I mean, the day after I published my podcast on NFTs, I had like several emails from people like I don't understand any of this. <laughs> <laughs> like people are buying what and like they're paying them with what and I, what? <laughs> well, what's interesting though, too, for me, like this will be the third one in a row where we've talked about NFTs. Oh, they're and they're probably I, like, boo. Yeah. Can we not talk about this anymore? Here's right. what's interesting though, as I have TJ lined up, I'm putting this out publicly so he can't back out. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. TJ is supposed to record with me, but he said he doesn't really want to talk about NFTs or the business side. He wants to talk about the art. And I'm like, I'm there for it, man. Let's just talk about art. Yeah, that's so, good. So yeah, that's I, I definitely want to have more conversations about just the art. I think you should ask him one question though. Okay. Do you see NFTs as a necessary evil? Oh, okay. Interesting. I'll see if he'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> tell cool, him he man. has to. I'll tell him Matt's so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, this has been really fun. Um, hey, so you're all over the internet, but what's the best place for people to find your work and see what you're up to? Uh, probably on my website, mattpainphotography.com. Perfect. Yep. And that's, they can find the podcast from there. Yep. Links to all the social things you do and all yep. that stuff. Yep. Awesome. All, yeah, All that fun stuff. Cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at go take pictures. New episodes are on the way soon. And if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures.